Hiring the right employee can be a challenge if you're looking to build a high-performance team, especially if you're in a startup or a scale-up phase. What should you be looking for? My next guest, performance coach Stan Peek, has some tips for you. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Stan Peek helps values-based leaders live their business dreams through his coaching business, Insight Performance Coaching, LTD. Stan says he was born to be a coach and help others unleash their potential. A serial entrepreneur, his first foray into running his own business came at the age of 21 when he started his own personal training business. Ten years later, he bought into a second business that went through a merger and was later acquired by a larger holding company. Always moving forward, Stan's current venture, Insight Performance Coaching, has helped businesses in a variety of different industries. Everything from fitness and health to legal, construction, tourism, energy, finance, fashion, fundraising, and that's just a few. That's quite a range. Stan is also the co-author of Swim Upstream, Unsubscribing to Conventional Wisdom. So with all of his business ventures and coaching, Stan has seen how hiring the right employee can definitely impact performance. And I'm excited to hear what he has to say about this important subject. So let's bring him on now. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Stan. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I'm excited to have you. You have such a fascinating background. I love the fact that you're a serial entrepreneur. And so let's talk for a minute about your own journey in hiring the right employees to achieve performance in your business. Tell me about your first hire. What was that process like? It was terrible. And that's why I'm able to speak from experience. Uh, terrible in the sense of the mistakes that I made. He's a great guy. Uh, we still chat every now and then today. The Chan, the problem with in a startup is that you get to a place where there's business volume growth and you see these opportunities you know, manifesting, and then you get to the place where it's, okay, I need a staff. And do you read a book? Maybe not. Do you consult anybody? Maybe not. You think you know the right thing. And I probably hired the right person, but I probably prepared them terribly. And their onboarding process and the interview process set him up for failure. It set my clients up for failure. And ultimately, I uh, created some unnecessary business challenges. And I like to tell that story because I've probably hired over 200 people in my career. That was the first. And through that process and through many mistakes and learning and getting better resources, that is how you get better at hiring. And as a result, I can hopefully cut that learning curve dramatically for your listeners. Well, I'm hoping you do, too, because the school of hard knocks is really expensive and some people don't survive if it's if the cost is really astronomical. So tell me, what were some of your takeaways from that first experience where you said to yourself, mm -mm, Stan, you're not going to do that again? Well, you mentioned absolutely that you hire for performance. That's what we should be doing. We should be bringing on the best people who can do the best job and ultimately create the best customer experience or the best product for our customers. And if you don't know what performance you're looking for, it's very hard to hire for that performance. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a cycle. You hire, you make some mistakes, 
or you hire and you just landed an A player. It's really important that we're in the business of learning. When did we make mistakes and what did we learn from that? Or who has really cleared the bar? Who has exceeded our expectations? And what can we take away that we can operationalize? Let's build that into our interview questions. Let's build that into our onboarding process. And with every hire, we should be getting a little better and a little better and a little better. And with every departure through exit interviews, we should be getting a little better and a little better. So I am a big fan of the Ken Blanchard saying that feedback is the breakfast of champions. And so as leaders, I think we need to be open to learning. And sometimes that learning comes in ways that we might not be ready to hear, but we have to be big enough to get that feedback and implement it in our businesses in the ways of better processes, specifically around hiring in better interviewing and onboarding and development processes. Well, you know, an employee is probably not going to come up to you and say, gee, Stan, I wish you hadn't hired me. It was a mistake to hire me. You know, people are going to hang <laughs> on to their jobs as long as they can. Uh, how do you feel about the saying that you should hire slow and fire fast? I totally agree. I totally agree. And when we say hire slow, uh, sometimes, and that's a, an area personally that I've made mistakes and I've seen it over and over and over again, it's such a challenge for business owners because you're a victim of your own success. You, you finally scale your business and you need bodies and you need them overnight, but you don't just need bodies because as you and I both know, the wrong hire can damage your business reputation in the community. It can turn away customers and the actual stats on terms of cost is that an employee turnover can cost over 1.5 times their salary. So if you're hiring someone and paying them $50,000 a year and they turn over, that could be $75,000 by the time you add up their severance, your time as the owner or manager to train them, any lost customers that go through that transition if your employees happen to be directly customer facing. The costs are real and they're tangible and they're painful. So I do believe in hiring slow, slow, not deliberately slow. Let's call it because of uh, effective methodology where you can have great interview questions. You know where you're hiring your best people from. You've got solid pipelines and you have clear expectations of the job that they're to perform. So that's the slow part when you know that you're getting all of those things and that you can actually develop that person fully as opposed to say, here's the manual and you're on the job site tomorrow. Interesting. You've just mentioned three things that really caught my attention here about the right questions, having the right pipeline, and being clear about expectations. Let's take each of these separately, if you don't mind. Let's talk about questions. Are there some mission critical questions that everybody should ask? Maybe put them in their own words, but but things they need to find out to satisfy themselves. Can you name a few of those? Absolutely. First thing I look at in terms of interviews is, before you even get to the question, segment the interviews based on purpose. So I'm a fan of a three-interview process. The first interview is all about cultural fit. Anyone who's hired enough people realizes that you might hire for skill. You're probably going to fire based on cultural fit. And you can't train attitude, you can train skill. So the first thing to vet in the door, and I really believe a hiring manager or a business owner has to act as a gatekeeper to preserve and improve the culture of their organization. And so the first interview is all around cultural fit. 
And within there, you may ask questions about their values. You might directly ask, what are your core values? They don't have to match the organizational values verbatim, but somebody who knows their core values is probably going to be a better fit for an organization that has exposed values than somebody who doesn't make a lot of decisions based on their, their core values or their ethics for that matter. You know, you may also ask questions about, tell me how you, give me an example of how you navigated the challenge in a team environment. And someone had to use a specific example. I always say no Miss America answer is give me the real good. Tell me how you got through that challenging situation. And a, a third question you might, or a third line of questioning you might get to is, a lot of people will say, tell me about a time where you failed, or tell me about one of your great successes. But they won't ask why. So why do you think you failed in that environment? Or why do you think you succeeded? And if we can ask that second question, the why, it's a window into the candidate's psyche. If they say they failed and they start pointing the fingers at everybody else, we know we've got someone who's potentially toxic and at the first sign of trouble, they're gonna start blaming everybody else. Whereas if somebody talks about one of their greatest successes and they start to deflect credit to other people, you're potentially hiring someone who's extremely humble and is probably a great team player and very supportive. So those are all examples of questions you can ask to vet the fit for the culture. Uh, and then the second interview, I like to go into more work history where, you know, what was the job you were to perform? What were some of your accomplishments? What were some of your challenges? Uh, and then what did, you, what did you think of your old boss? Or how would you rate your old boss in terms of their performance? Or a, a critical question, if you're gonna go job by job by job is, why did you leave your last job? And I like to ask at least the last three up to the last five, and we want to develop trends. Uh, you know, just like the last question, if we start to find out that I, did, I left my last job because I didn't get along with my boss, and the job before that, there was no opportunities. My boss really didn't take the time to develop me. And the time before that, my boss was a jerk. Well, okay, but the trend is pretty clear here. So those are the first two. And the third, I like to do a practical interview where if there's specific skills or specific scenarios that are mission critical to success, trying to recreate those in a scaled down environment where we can put people live in the fire, so to speak, and see how they react. And, and it's a window into how they might perform in the trenches with your customers and with your teammates. Very good. And how about pipelines? How many pipelines should people have? Well, as many that are producing the right kind of people. Uh, if you have 10, 10 of anything, I mean, if you go into a strategic planning session, you come out with your 10 biggest priorities, you're probably going to be there again in three months with not a lot of success. So I think three or four effective pipelines is excellent. Uh, hard to do. Some people might have one or two, and that might be enough to fuel their success. And let me clarify for your listeners, pipelines is simply just where you're accessing your talent. So you might have relationships with a local college or university. You might have a trade school that is really good at producing, you know, exactly the kind of people you want. Maybe you're doing talks, uh, you know, at career fairs where people that are in certain uh, stages of transition just happen to be the right candidates. If there's in a down economy, there's often support groups that pop up for laid off professionals. And that might be a great way to get in there and, and do some talks around 
networking and about building your skills and it gives you face time with some potential future candidates. So all of those things, uh, you know, and, and I worked at my background before coaching, as you alluded to, was in fitness and health. And so there was even races or athletic events that might put you in front of the right type of employee. It's really knowing the type of professional you want on your team and then reverse engineering because of what matters to them, where might they hang out? Where might they spend their time? I know a CEO who's hired more than a couple of people out of coffee shops because that person was able to have their coffee started as soon as they made eye contact because they were put a face to a coffee order and that was indicative of someone who had a great memory and was really customer service oriented. So your pipeline could be anything depends on the demands of the job. Interesting way to look at it in a way as reverse engineering sort of marketing because everybody says, you know, where, where are your clients? Where, where are your customers? Where do they hang out? So this is just saying, you know, where is your ideal employee hangout? What are you looking for? That's exactly right. It's the same principles. If you're in marketing and you're looking to acquire the ideal customer, you know your segment, you know exactly who you're after, it's a very similar process to go back and say, you know, John is a rock star, Amy's amazing, where do we get them, what's common among them, and where can we find more people like them? Exactly, exactly. And the third thing that you pointed out in, you know, being able to find the right employee was setting expectations. Tell me your thoughts about elaborate job descriptions. It depends who they came from. I'm a big fan of having smart people write their own job description. So a, a big elaborate job description that the organization creates, it tends to produce compliance. And by that, I mean, you know, here you go, Hannah, this is the 50 things you got to do between Monday and Friday, go do them. That's kind of akin to, this is your job, do it and do it because I said so. That will get you to work hard enough eventually so you don't lose your job. That is compliance. Now, if that same organization brings you on board and says, okay, Hannah, this is the success we're looking for. These are the goalposts. This is really the result we want. You're smart. We hired you for a reason. Please come up with the activities you think you need to do with a few suggestions from us, perhaps, that you need to embark on every day to make that success happen. Now, when you write your own job description, you are binding a commitment. It's, a, it's like a written contract that this is what you're committing to do every day. When you come up with it, your commitment to that description is far greater than if the organization says, you're the next person up, this is the job, go do it. And therefore, the results are far greater. And in fact, I always let entrepreneurs know 80% of an employee's discretionary effort is a direct result of leadership and culture. And that's where it begins is in the onboarding and welcoming process where people are either told what to do or inspired by what to do. Well, being able to write your own uh, ticket, so to speak, is definitely a way to inspire people. I can tell you from my own experience, I had the compliance description at one point in my career, and believe it or not, one of the bullet points said, must be able to sit through boring meetings. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> oh my. Wow. Well, I guess they, they knew the deliverables. That's good. Yeah, they did. They did. You know, Stan, for some entrepreneurs, hiring employees in more than an administrative position represents a real fork in the road for their business because they're turning over a really critical part of the business for someone else to run. 
And that's a scary proposition for some people. You know, they recognize in their head that not hiring a key employee will limit their ability to grow. But in their heart, it's just, it's, it's difficult to let go. And they know that they also risk burnout if they keep at the same pace that has gotten them to that fork in the road. What advice do you have to help folks overcome that fear? The biggest advice I have is to really look in the organization and look in the mirror in terms of what you need. Look in the mirror in terms of where you really want to take your business. And if growth is the answer, if you really want to grow, if you really want to expand, then you also have to look in the mirror. And because as a leader, we often limit our own businesses. We limit our businesses potentially with our attitudes and biases. And we definitely limit our businesses more commonly with our skills. So if you mentioned marketing, if marketing is what it's going to take to really scale a business because we have to expand the new markets and we have to reach new customers and a business owner is more of an operator and they're more of a leader, they're going to need to bring someone who's way better at marketing to the team than they are. And they need to be able to look at that and just get over the ego. Some people, no problem, and it really comes into that perspective of where this business is needing to go. And again, as a leader, are you able to get out of your own way? I'm, I'm a big believer there are four distinct stages in the entrepreneurial journey that not every leader can get to. So we, most of us begin as an owner-operator, and especially if we are the founders. We begin as an owner-operator, and then as we can grow the business, we become a manager. We manage tasks, we manage cash flow, we manage a team, we manage every limited resource around time and talent and cash to be able to grow the business. And if we can do that, we become a leader. We become someone who leads a team, not manages a team. We start to inspire them more than we tell them what to do. And finally, we become a coach. And that transition from manager to leader and from leader to coach, there's way less telling and there's more inspiring and getting out of the way. As I said, not everybody can get there, but if you can get there as a leader, you are going to have a much better organization, a much better team, because you're going to be able to bring more brains, better brains than yours to the table. And that's what takes that old, you know, leadership adage away from the cliche. When we say hire people smarter than you, we're not saying hire someone who's smarter at every single thing than you. Hire someone who's smarter when it comes to marketing. Hire someone who's smarter when it comes to accounting and finance. Hire someone who's smarter when it comes to operations. And only if we can do that with our egos in check and with the best interests of the organization in mind, uh, we can really create a beautiful onboarding for the next person and a better experience for the whole team. If we can't do that, we absolutely bring the glass ceiling down right on top of our heads and uh, another saying, if you want to put more, uh, you know, pack as much cliches in here as possible, I definitely believe that leaders who don't listen who, and who can't surround themselves with smarter people, they'll eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. And we all know how that turns out. Yeah, because they're afraid to say anything. Yeah, well, that's a fear-based culture. Stan, in your experience in coaching and working with different business owners and entrepreneurs across a lot of different industries, is, is there a common thread between them in terms of common mistakes that they make when it comes to hiring the right employee and really inspiring their teams? 
Definitely. The most common uh, mistake that I see is doing so with a lack of prog- or process. Again, as I mentioned too earlier, they need to scale really quickly. I'm working with an organization right now uh, through seasonal aspects of their business. They're just headed into their business season and they need to expand their workforce overnight, let's say. And when that happens, they're going to make more mistakes and that's going to be more cost money because these are great guys, by the way. And if one of their hires makes a mistake, they will go fix it on their own cost. But that happens over and over. That starts to eat away your profit margins really quickly. So even when you're busy, if you can identify that three interview process, if that's what you're going with, and you can have the questions right in front of you, just, I call it slowing down to speed up. As as you're no doubt aware, and I'm sure it's happened to you hundreds of times, we often go off the cuff in interviews. Someone says something and it triggers, you know, the synapses are firing. We have to ask another question. But if you do a whole interview that way, you don't ask some of the fundamentals. And so that's the first most common mistake that I see. The second thing I see is that when people are desperate, when the organization is in dire straits or when there's great opportunities to be had, sometimes we compromise and we go against our gut. That's the second most common mistake I see is, well, we really, really need someone. I know it's not the best fit or I know we would normally take three weeks to integrate them. We got to do it in three days. As soon as you go against your gut, you're going to regret it. It's going to come back somehow, whether it's even if you've hired the right person. If you skip your own best processes, you affect their onboarding negatively. And the first three months is absolutely critical in establishing best fit for that person if they're going to be a long-term A player and success within the organization. So forgetting your processes and just hiring out of a hurry and ignoring your gut when you really need to hire, I would say are the two most common mistakes that I see entrepreneurs make, and that is industry agnostic. I see it in, you mentioned construction and you know landscaping. I see it there. I've seen it in uh, childcare workers. I've seen it in receptionists. I've seen it in managers. So would entrepreneurs that are in that kind of a crunch that you described, whether it's seasonality that affects their business and requires you know instant demand, for their goods or services or just an astronomic growth curve. Are they better off hiring temps? I don't know if they're better off hiring temps or if they're better off asking a little bit more of the people they already know are the right fit. To use more of a, you know, athletic analogy, I, I say ride the backs of your horses. You know, if there's people that have proven themselves that are willing to work overtime, that are willing to take on a bit more, Um, You can't abuse that, especially not long term. But if somebody has proven they're willing to do more right now, it's way better to trust the existing team that will, you know, in the short term, bang it out for you as you can go higher. Because we're all busy. But if you don't hire, first of all, and again, you're creating distrust with your team and you're going to have burnout. So if people say they're too busy, that's an excuse. If you're so busy what would you rather make time for doing it right on the way in or rehiring and re-getting and reacquiring customers and regaining the trust of your team after the fact we're all busy it's a question of how we spend our time and if people can understand the the opportunity cost of not hiring well and the damage to culture of not hiring well they will reprioritize sitting in on those interviews and asking the right questions 
to give people the right start. When it comes to culture, I've seen that over and over again, because you know something, it also speaks to someone's leadership brand to their employees. And if they, they keep making shortcuts like that, employees, they're smart. They know what's going on. They see it. And after a while, the leadership will lose credibility. So uh, th- these have been some fabulous nuggets of uh, information, tips, strategies. And it's been impressive, Stan, that you've been able to help so many businesses with your consulting work at Insight Performance. But I'm really curious to learn more about who has helped you in your business journey. Is there an influencer that you could share with us that has had an impact that has given you one of those aha moments? Definitely. You know, I could list all kinds of books, but it really comes down to my business mentor, Matt Young. When I was working in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, I had moved there and he was the first person who really stopped me to question everything I had done. And when I started working with him, I had six and a half years in the fitness industry. I'd already owned the first business that you had mentioned. And I had about five years of management experience under my belt. And really, I had been acquiring a bit of success and a bit of a head of steam in terms of my career. But he really stopped me to question a lot of why I did what I did. So it wasn't so much, you know, here's process number one, here's process number two, here's process number three. It was really more questioning the purpose of what I was doing and questioning where I was headed with my life. And he could have easily said, hey, listen, these are the priorities, get your job done. But he took a big vested interest in me and he showed that he cared. And it was that showing that he cared that helped me navigate a pretty challenging time in my career. I mean, I lived in uh, Vancouver for two and a half years. You're away from family. I was living in a very expensive place to live. The business had gone through a couple of challenges and hurdles. And so it would have been really easy to quit and just say, well, it's not for me. I tried it. But because of his commitment to me, I was very committed to him. And through that, I learned so many lessons And I implement that approach to employee care everywhere I go. Not every employee that's ever worked for me would agree. There are times, and we know this in leadership, you don't get into leadership to be popular. You do so to do what's right. And so sometimes the right thing means this person in front of me right now is not going to like me. But there's a whole team back at the shop that you have to be conscious of. So Matt was very instrumental in influencing what I do and why I do it um, and setting a high bar for myself and not settling for mediocre. Wow. Good for you to have someone like that in your life to believe in you and to help coach you instead of tell you what to do. That is very, very powerful. In the minute or two that we have left, I really want to hear about your book, Swim Upstream, Unsubscribing to Conventional Wisdom. What can our listeners learn from reading that? Well, it's funny you mentioned that book. And my mentor, Matt Young, he, myself, and uh, three other colleagues co-wrote that. We had a leadership blog dating back to 2007. And after we hit, I think it was 300 blog posts. And we were followed by almost every continent. And we had a bunch of different countries as far away as Japan tuning in to our posts. We thought we should do something with this. And It was uh, at times very ranty. Uh, As I say, it was about 10 years ago. So there was times, you know, some of us were in our late 20s, early 30s. And we had very 
strong views of leadership and organizational culture. And so Sum Upstream, unsubscribing the conventional wisdom, was all about rethinking what you're doing and why and not being a sheep. Like, don't get into the rat race. And anytime you feel like you're doing something just because, stop and reflect and question why. And that leads to everything that I do in now in insight. And that leads to how I go about helping organizations lead their organization. Don't just do something because, and don't just do something because it's the way you've always done it. Question why and build a plan that's aligned with the goals and the results you really want to see. Outstanding. Outstanding. Stan, thank you so much. We will definitely have a link to your book, Swim Upstream, Unsubscribing to Conventional Wisdom, on businessconfidentialradio.com. I know one marketing guru that I follow says, you know, if you follow what's conventional, you're never going to break out of the pack and the view never changes. So there's a lot to be said for it, but not to do it, of course, blindly, but to really think about the why and make sure it fits in with your purpose, not just for the business, but your life purpose and your work-life balance. So thank you. We're also going to have links on the episode page for how listeners can get in touch with you if they'd like to continue the conversation. Again, that's all going to be on businessconfidentialradio.com. Stan, I am grateful for the time you spent with us today and your insights. Thank you so much for being a guest on Business Confidential Now. Anna, thank you so much for having me. I listen to a lot of business podcasts. I like to feel my brain, and I'm a big fan with how packed with substance Business Confidential as now is. So I'll make sure I'll be sharing our not just our podcast, but your podcast, all the episodes with my network, and keep up the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then, 